You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. You're back with Gene and Chris at the Paracast. And no, ladies and gentlemen, I have not been abducted, although some of our enemies would prefer I was abducted. You haven't been abducted lately, have you, Chris? Uh, no. But what enemies? I didn't know we had enemies. We have enemies? I think they're people who don't like what we do. They criticize us for running too many commercials. Even though we run the same number as Coast to Coast AM, in the same type of schedule in terms of the frequency. They criticize us if we ask questions that are too tough. They criticize us if we ask questions that seem too tame. They criticize us because we break at regular times for a sponsor break like all commercial radio shows do. Or they just can't stand us. They don't like your jokes. They don't like my jokes. Yeah, but hate's an awful, awful strong word there, Gene. I think maybe people um, might have issues, but I don't think, hey, we're lovable guys, man. Well, a few things I've read are more than that, especially when they post things on iTunes and elsewhere. But I think that's the nature of posting reviews of something, because people can post anonymously. They're not accountable to anything. They don't hold back. And sometimes they're just rival shows who want to attack the competition or rival products if it's software or book authors or things like that. There you go. Anyway, I was thinking about abductions because just this past weekend I saw a UFO abduction movie called Dark Skies. Now, I know most of you remember Dark Skies as a 1996 NBC TV series produced by Bryce Zabel, who's been on the show a couple of times. And that was kind of one of these UFO Roswell kind of shows. It didn't make it past the first season, but gotten a lot of good reviews. So what happened here is the producers of the movie Paranormal Activity, you've heard of that? Mm -hmm. You know, with all the shaky cams and the night vision, all that stuff. They produce a more traditional movie called Dark Skies, starring Carrie Russell, whom you might remember from a TV comedy called Felicity And she's also a star of a new show called The Americans, where she plays a Soviet agent planted in the U.S. pretending she's an American citizen. All right. Very good actress. She carries the movie. So it's about aliens who are following this family. It's kind of exaggerated. I won't give you the spoiler in case you want to watch it. It's not a bad film. I thought it was going to be a load of junk, but it's actually done very well. The suspense is kept to a minimum. You don't have all these explicit violent scenes, a lot of things are suggested. And I think it's a better way to make a movie, so they actually did a very good job on it. But I think about abductions when we go back to last week's appearance with Denise Stoner and Kathleen Martin. And as you know, Denise and her husband have had some very serious abduction encounters. This has formed the basis of a lot of comments in our forums. Some talk about, of course, sleep paralysis, but how does sleep paralysis relate If you're in your car, you see something, and then three hours have passed. How do you explain that? How do you explain when someone apparently has some kind of implant in their body? How do you account for stuff like that? And that's what continues to bother me about this thing. I don't think that she's the kind of person, Denise Stoner, to just make it up, because her background is pretty serious. She has a pretty straightforward background working for the government, She's worked as a UFO investigator for MUFON, but that, for the most part, is a pretty straight-laced organization. Yeah. You don't have lots of crackpots and cranks hanging out there. So the question goes back to it. 
What happened to her? It's a real head scratcher, that's for sure. I've always been a fence sitter when it comes to this particular mystery. I Maybe I'm uh, jealous that uh, I wasn't taken up on, on a ship or something. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I think a lot of these accounts uh, bear scrutiny, and they do deserve uh, investigation. But it's really difficult to determine who's um, actually having real experiences that they can't explain and who may be delusional. I think you have to separate out the real good cases. Um, I, I don't think all pe- people's claims are necessarily accurate so we need to pull out the best cases and really really look at them and and come up with a some sort of creative approach i think to investigating these things so we mentioned a few things at the end of the episode last week uh so i'm just uh puzzled her very interesting account that occurred in south park uh there's been a history of just amazing uh, activity there so it doesn't surprise me a bit that she had what appears to be on the surface some sort of abduction type event. I mean, where did all that time go? So the question is, what really happened? Are they interpreting what really happened? And this is where I sort of feel we diverged in our paths from what they were telling us to what we were trying to suggest, which is, are they number one remembering the experience as it was? Are they remembering the experience as they interpret it in a very subjective way because it's so alien to their experience? Or is the experience somehow manipulated for them? So they see something that somebody else is generating, but that's not actually what's going on. Now, one of the things they claim to use in their research is something that I will call a fact. A fact being some piece of information. And law enforcement officers do this too, by the way, where they withhold a piece of evidence and use that as a basis to evaluate somebody's claims. So in the case of a law enforcement officer, maybe to see whether a person is guilty or innocent or knows something about a crime that they could not have known. So in the case of abductees, some abduction researchers have this fact, this piece of information, that if their questioning reveals something that affirms this fact, they believe the abduction. Yeah, Yeah, I've done that too. I I have some key phrases, uh, observations that instantly make me pay attention when I hear them. And uh, it's not surprising that they've developed their own early warning sort of red flag system. It makes sense. The question, of course, is can that information leak? As soon as it leaks, as soon as people know what the fact is, then they can exploit it. You see, this goes back to a time where years ago, Ray Palmer, involved in science fiction and UFOs and was the co-founder of Fate magazine, he once said he had a fact by which he judged whether UFO cases were real. And people said, well, tell us the fact. Why withhold it? And his argument always was, if he did, then it could be exploited and people could create fake experiences. So he keeps it to himself. Now, supposedly in his final years, he had begun to reveal this fact, but never seemed to have gotten around to it. So who knows? But the thing I wonder about here is, even if the fact that an abduction researcher like a Kathleen Martin uses is a valid way to research it it doesn't prove what the cause is it only proves that someone had what appears to be a valid experience it doesn't tell us whether it accurately reflects the real experience it doesn't tell us whether it's et whether it's a higher power whether it's computerized intelligence like john keel once talked about whether it's something just manipulating with us or something else right or like stephen greer uh, maintains that all abductions real abductions are done by the military I wouldn't be surprised if some are, but 
you know, we don't want to attribute anything that's factual to Stephen Greer. <laughs> that would be taking us into another dimension, which I'd rather not get into. Yeah, the My Lab military abduction. Oh, yes. In any case, we'll have something a little bit more mainstream about UFOs on this week's episode because we have a former police officer who's involved in investigating UFO cases. I met Gary Hesseltine at the recent uh, Citizens Hearing on Disclosure. I've been an admirer of his work for years. Corresponded with him, I think, through email back in the late 90s. He is a longtime serving detective law enforcement officer in England. He had an amazing experience in the 70s, a UFO experience, and watched his town power down, uh, apparently, as a result of this white, brilliant white light that flew over. We're going to, I'm sure, hear about that event. But Gary has put together the policeman's UFO database, basically, and he's been combing through law enforcement reports for years and listing down on-duty and off-duty reports by law enforcement officials around the world. And he's got the largest database of its kind. And I can't wait to talk to him at length about his work and also get his uh, impressions of where the field is, what he thought of the citizen hearing, and much more. Gary's a really interesting guy, and I'm, I'm really happy that I finally got a chance to meet him. Gary Hesseltine, joining Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Hello, this is Steve Shank. Alex and I want to thank you for the generous support of the Oklahoma food donations pouring in every day. In just six days, over 37,000 servings have been shipped. Your $25 and a subsidy from eFoods Direct 
will send a seven-day supply of food to someone in need. Please keep Oklahoma important, but we've got serious food issues. For example, the rising cost of food, especially beef, last year's worst drought in 50 years, and the mandated ethanol production has dried up the feed supply for livestock. Chinese are offering $4.7 billion to buy our largest pork producer. Find out more and get the one solution you can count on at efoodsdirect.com slash alex or call 800-409-5633. Now get free shipping every day. Call 800-409-5633 or efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Have you ever consumed protein powder supplements? I have, and all of them don't taste that good. Have artificial flavors, sweeteners, or unhealthy sugars. About a year ago, I was introduced to a new protein powder that changed my experience. This protein powder made me feel noticeably better, and it tasted more delicious than any drink I've ever had. Here's the experience of one satisfied user named Rich. The term best of all worlds has been belabored to death, and yet I've just discovered a whey protein powder that truly deserves to be called best of all worlds. Best taste, by far. Best results, by far. You almost feel like you're cheating, that something that tastes that good could be so good for you. Thank you, Stephen, and Cocoon Nutrition. One World Way truly is the best of all worlds. The only way for me. Yours truly, Rich from Georgia. Real user, real happy. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Joining us on the Paracast this week, Gary Heseltine. He's a former police officer who has set up an organization called Police Report UFO Sightings, which is a database which involves UFOs seen by police officers. Gary, welcome to the Paracast. Welcome to you. It's a pleasure to be your guest. So let's talk about how you got involved in the study of UFOs, and it involves the time that you saw a UFO for yourself a number of years ago. Yeah, it began with a childhood sighting. I was aged 15 in my hometown of Scunthorpe in Lincolnshire in England. And uh, I was walking my then girlfriend home called Dawn. I won't embarrass her by name and a surname now. We were walking along a very narrow footpath with no street lighting at that time. And uh, on the left side of us as we walked forward was my what you would say high school comprehensive school fields and on the right side in England we call them allotments these are like garden areas for people to grow vegetables so it was effectively a rural area on both sides fields on one side and a garden area in darkness on the other side and as we uh, looked forward we could see at the end of this long alleyway housing in the distance which would obviously it was dark it was about eight or nine o'clock at night it was a totally uh, cloudless sky, one of those balmy summer nights where all the stars are twinkling and no clouds, which is rare in England. Basically, as we watched, we were walking forward, we saw coming from our right to left at an elevation of, I would say, approximately 60 degrees, all you can describe it as a bright white light. It appeared to be moving very slowly. It was much bigger than the stars in the background, and I would estimate anywhere five to 10,000 feet, not that high. And basically, it was moving very slowly, and there was no noise, 
we just stopped and thought this is an odd light and then suddenly as it went past us if you can imagine a, a pathway in front of you a straight line in front of you and then the object passing over you essentially so you were now behind its flight path what, what happened was all the housing in the distance all the power in, in the distance and the housing was sort of cut off a power cut for want of a better word but it was only behind the area of the light now rightly or wrongly uh, dawn became frightened and she got upset we watched the light bemused or in awe and basically what happened was there was a second power cut behind the flight path of the housing in the distance and the object was moving very slowly in the direction of my home i was walking uh, my girlfriend home at that time and i had my bicycle with me and so what i said was it's look it's heading towards my house get on the bike on the crossbar and uh, the two of us i'll ride you back drop you off at your house which wasn't that far from the end of the alleyway and i will try to take a shortcut and, and, and see if i can catch up with this light and basically that's what i did i dropped her off at her house her, the whole area it was in darkness no electricity whatsoever and then uh, basically i got back on the bike rode like mad went back down the same alleyway eventually i turned right onto a main road uh, i went about three quarters of a mile and eventually i could see that in the distance the power was still on by this corner near to where i lived the power was still on in the distance but not in the area that initially i was riding through so i rode like mad and i remember distinctly getting to this corner which was a left-hand bend and getting into the light so moving from complete darkness into where the street lights were on and the house lights were on and as i looked over my right shoulder at that point i could see the same white bright white light slowly at an angle slightly behind me so therefore i'd got ahead of it it was still heading in the direction of my home i went round three corners from that point which was literally about another 45 seconds of cycling dropped my bike outside the front door rushed in to my parents who were in the living room having a cup of tea supper time as we would call it and uh, said come outside i think there's going to be a power cut caused by this strange bright light uh, they just looked at me bemused as you would didn't move so therefore i ran through the hall ran through the kitchen out into the back garden turned around to now face back at my semi-detached house as we would call it in england look back at the house just in time to see the light coming over the rooftop now as the is it's coming over the rooftop literally i'm in the garden i put my arm straight above my head straight up like a superman impression and basically when the object went past me and therefore i was then behind its flight path there was a massive power cut and the whole area went dark now it's at that point there how could i predict a power cut so it's i realized that that light from a second geographical position must have interacted with the power grid in some way and that's my original starting how long did this power outage last not long uh 25 30 minutes as i remember i'm not absolutely certain but it wasn't that long and when i went back into my house i said look i told you there was that light and they said oh it must be a coincidence or whatever they didn't believe me they were just seeking in darkness to get candles out we weren't on the phone at that time in 1975 the nearest phone box for me was about a 10 minute walk so who do you ring anyway so i didn't ring anybody my parents just dismissed it and whilst puzzled i didn't do anything about it 
The only thing that, in a sense, what happened in the days and weeks afterwards is that I had never, ever been interested in the subject of UFOs at, until that point. I then sought kind of validation as to what's happened. I'd seen an unidentified light, which is all it was. I don't know what it was. So basically, I all I could do in the era before video recording and uh, VHS and Betamax machines was uh, to look in second-hand bookshops. And I think by whatever strange reason, the first book that I ever got was by Major Donald Kehoe in a second-hand bookshop, and it, was, it straight away told me about the New York blackout in, I think, 1965, which some people would put down as a UFO trigger that caused that major blackout for several hours. And that kind of validated what had happened to me. I, I, how could I predict a power cut? It was ridiculous. I, you know, how could I predict a, a power cut to that very moment? So it must be something else other than me. Well, the thing here, of course, is can we really connect the light in the sky to the blackout? Now, was there ever an official explanation from the authorities as to why the blackout occurred? I didn't even look. I was so naive about the subject, I didn't even look. I didn't even look in the local paper the next day, the local Scunlob Evening Telegraph. So I don't know. I should have. Obviously, I should have if I knew what I knew now, but I didn't then. Uh, my parents just dismissed it. I don't know why I didn't look, but I didn't. Well, the question is now, can you today go back to the newspaper archives or morgue and see if there was a report about the power outage? Check the yeah, documents, no, check the officials. Wouldn't that be a way of validating your case? No, absolutely. That's uh, on my agenda at some point. I've done lots of uh, newspaper archive trails, and that's one thing that I could do to try to validate that. The only validation I've ever had, and, and again, it's not a good enough validation from my police trading point of view, is uh, when I first uh, went public with this at uh, a conference, the very first conference where I was introduced to UFO conference in, I think, in late, in, uh, late 2001, I was introduced by the then former editor of UFO magazine, which was a British publication uh, by a guy called Graham Birdsell, who sadly passed away. At the end of it, somebody came up to me who I didn't recognise initially because he, he was completely bald, and when I knew him... We'll find out who that person who came up to him was. We have Gary Hazeltine with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
Virtually anyone can hack your cell phone and track your calls, your texts, your emails, your every movement, but only if they can detect a signal. Stay one step ahead of hackers and Big Brother with a block at Pocket, a custom-made pocket infused with pure silver that creates a complete Faraday enclosure for your cell phone. For free shipping to the lower 48, visit BlockItPocket.com or call 888-315-9618, BlockItPocket.com. Enhancing health and privacy. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. You've seen them on Doomsday Preppers. You've seen them on network television, Shipping Wars, and the History Channel. Now, now, the strongest shelters money can buy are here. Atlas Survival Shelters. Made in America from 10-foot diameter galvanized corrugated pipe, up to 11 times stronger than square box shelters, and built to last up to 200 years. And you won't believe the amenities. Atlas shelters contain microwaves, refrigerators, big screen TVs, water tanks, septic systems, bulletproof hatches, and much more. Virtually everything you have at home, just buried 20 feet deep and bombproof. See the amazing Atlas Survival Shelters at atlassurvivalshelters.com or call 1-855-4-BUNKER. That's 855-4-B-U-N-K-E-R or atlassurvivalshelters.com. Financing now available. Atlas Survival Shelters. Better prepared than scared. Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Jenny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease, decay, or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Gary Heseltine. He is a UFO investigator, former police officer. We were talking about his sighting back in 1975, which may have been connected to a power outage. But now you're talking, Gary, about this ufo conference where you met up with someone tell us more yeah the only the only 
validation, and it's not a, 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 what I would call a definitive validation at all, is that at this conference where I'd first been introduced to an audience, a line of people eventually passed away, and, it, and, and, and this man stood in front of me, which I initially didn't recognise. He was bald, no hair whatsoever, and uh, wearing glasses. He told me his name, and I knew the name. Basically, he, he was uh, somebody from school. But he changed so many years later, I just didn't recognise him at all. But anyway, what he said, he says, I saw what you saw. And I says, what do you, what do you, do you mean? And he said, well, we were playing football in the street, on a street that was very close to where my original sighting was, near to the alleyway. And he said, we were playing one night and we saw this object passing in the sky. And then there was this power cut. And I just didn't remember it. And I said, well, do you know the date? And he said, no. I says, can you be sure about the year? He said, well, I think it's 1975. And I says, can you give me any other information? He says, apart from being summer, uh, that's what I remember. And I remember the power being out for half an hour. And funnily enough, Rob Simone was present when this guy came up to me uh, and said this because I, I remember I'd never had any kind of validation at all anything similar and my eyes stood up on the back of my neck and Rob Simone was was like stood at the side of us ready to speak to me and I looked at him and and it was a bit weird but uh, but that's not good enough in terms of definitively proving because we've no exact date we've no exact uh, time etc it could be any number of things but it's a very similar account which is in the right kind of time frame summer of 75 and basically describing an object in the sky in the same area within I would say less than a half a mile quarter of a mile from where we first saw it on the alleyway so it's very close so it's either two incidents or, or possibly the same but we, de- we definitively can't prove either wise either way can i give you a homework assignment here and that is okay, well, okay. you want me to go press the, go through the archive and find exactly it. i'd like to see you go through the archives because obviously yeah. we're not going to see anything online or maybe we will go through the archives from your local newspapers and see if back in 1975 there was a report about a brief power outage and also about possible UFOs. And listeners, let's go back in time. If you live in the UK, back to the summer of 1975, did you see a UFO? Did you have a power outage around the same time? I think this is something we'd like to nail down. And certainly... Oh, so would I. Yeah, well, let's get started. Let's validate this. But let's talk about the fact that You established an organization, I guess, around this time. Is this what triggered your interest in establishing your own database of UFO encounters involving law enforcement officers? No, there's a a very uh, precise number of steps that actually led me to creating the database. And the first step was my own sighting in 75. But then I went away from the subject for absolutely uh, 17, 18 years, other than watching it on TV anything that was read in the papers, I didn't really do anything about it. I didn't become any active researcher. I went away, I had a life, joined the Air Force as a police officer between 1983 and 89. I had a couple of children, that kind of thing. And and really, it went on the back burner. And then it was really only in about 1995, uh, when I was already a police officer by six years, already a detective at that point, when uh, I came across a glossy magazine called UFO Magazine, which was this publication by Graham Birds, which was very well established, sold all around the world, 40-odd countries. And uh, I'd read all about pilots in the 50s from the uh, Donald Kehoe book that I originally got as a 15-year-old. And then I'd got at that time, I'd got a few other second-hand books, which I collected, 
but then had had gone away, had a life, normal things, and then it was only in 1995 when I come across this glossy magazine, and it just looked like any other glossy magazine in the, in the in the news agent, and I thought, wow, this has uh, moved on a bit. This is a a nice uh, scientific looking magazine. It was non-sensationalistic, but it kind of like focused in on pilot reports, military reports, radar reports. And, of course, I was then a police officer, so I was looking through evidential eyes. Over the next couple of years, I got the magazine, which was then bi-monthly. There is a UFO magazine published in America, originally from Don and Vicki Eckernell by Bill Burns, although they haven't had an issue out in a year. This is a totally separate magazine. Totally separate magazine. It, it was a British uh, research called Graham Birdsell, and it ran for about 15 to 20 years. And he used to have a three-day major UFO conference in Leeds, and it ran for 21 years until he died. And it died. He died sadly in 2003, just before the, uh, the what was going to be the 22nd annual conference. So yeah, it was a totally British publication. Some people who know the publication would arguably say it was the best UFO magazine there's ever been. I personally think that's true, but that's for everybody's interpretation. But basically, that was the magazine that I saw. That rekindled my interest to the point where I started to get books that had been written in the intervening 17, 18 years I'd been away from the subject. And this included books like the renowned British author Tim Good, Above Top Secret, Beyond Top Secret... Uh, and Nick Redfern was an upcoming author, a covert agenda, cosmic crashes, that kind of thing. And I read those and I thought, wow, you know, there seems to be credible evidence uh, from people that I would respect, i.e. pilots, military, commercial, radar operators, air traffic controllers, sonar operators, etc. Credible people, high caliber witnesses, as I call them. And over that couple of years, I began to think, Well, I'm getting frustrated here because there's still nothing in the media all these years. It's still trivialised in the media. Uh, We're still all made to look like we're idiots. And I felt myself being compelled into the subject, shall we say, wanting to do something. So that was the second step, finding the magazine. The third step's a bit bizarre because basically after a couple of years, around 1998... Uh, I suddenly uh, I had a dream, and everybody dreams, but I don't usually remember dreams. But I had a very vivid dream that upon waking was of a scenario, uh, a fictional scenario of what could prompt governments around the world to force their hands to reveal all they know on the subject. So it was a fictional kind of Hollywood blockbuster, and it was the idea for a film. Now I'd never written anything in my life. Suddenly I'd got this idea, and I felt compelled with no writing experience, no knowledge of uh, layouts or anything like that, to write this story down. And over the next six weeks, I then wrote my first screenplay. I've written four full-length feature film scripts. And the first one I wrote called Conclusive Proof, fictional scenario. And I wrote it with no prior knowledge, and I wrote it. And what it did at the end of it, what it proved to me is, one, I could write, because I'd written a beginning a middle and an end, which I'd never done before. And so what I wanted was validation. So who better to send it to was than Graham Birdsell at the magazine. So I sent it to him, thinking I'd never hear anything back. About three weeks after sending it to him, uh, I get a phone call uh, one tea time, and uh, he basically was enthusiastic about it, saying it would make a great film, blah, blah, blah. So much so that he actually 
sent me like a certificate saying this would make a great film, blah, 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 and I'll help, help you in any way I can, which I didn't expect. That then, he then invited me to go to his upcoming 21st annual UFO conference in Leeds. I worked in Leeds. What's the odds of that? It's on my doorstep. So I went along. He introduced me to the audience, which is where this kind of little story, validation to my childhood sighting came about. And on the strength of that and seeing some of the lectures, I again felt being drawn more into the subject. But what eventually uh, made me realise that I wanted to get involved was it, it, it was a feeling that of frustration. It was a sense of frustration that the media were trivialising the subject and I knew what evidence was in terms of what would stand up in a court of law and they were trivialising it. So it's that sense of frustration. I understand what you're saying. We're going to do our break now and continue with this discussion. Gary Hazeltine joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. When you need it the most, will your generator, power equipment, or vehicle be ready? Gas and diesel fuels go bad quickly when stored, and more than half of generator failures during disasters occur as a result of expired fuel. PRI fuel stabilizers keep your fuel fresh for when you need it most. Nuclear power stations, emergency service providers, and ships at sea rely on PRI fuel stabilizers. And you can too. Call 888-776-9373 or visit PRIproducts.com to find the dealer nearest you. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. 
Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. On the Paracast with Gene and Chris, Gary Heseltine. Joining us, he's a former police officer who got involved in investigating UFOs, had his interest triggered by his own UFO encounter back in the summer of 1975. Now, a fast question here. You're a retired police officer. Did you retire for the time to do more ufo research because it was your time what yeah ab- absolutely um uh, when i started the database which was in january 2002 with an article that appeared in that ufo magazine because after that conference i basically went to graham birdsell and said look can i i've had this idea for a database of police officer sightings can i write an article for your magazine i'd never written before he said yes i like the idea of it it sounds credible so i did that so it was launched public in january 19 uh, 2002 and straight away i got officers responding and and it literally has carried on since then uh, so that's basically where where it all began now let's go back here very briefly to those screenplays you wrote. Were they ever considered to make actual movies or TV shows? Yeah, I, I uh, bear in mind I didn't know anything about formats, and it's a very uh, uh, stringent format. Yes, so I know. I've done it. Yes. All those things. Uh, yeah, it was submitted to a number of people. I did uh, various uh, courses and things like that, and I got some good reviews. Uh, but it, it, nobody would make it, and I never made a breakthrough. But it's like a, unless you're in the subject, unless you've got somebody pushing you who can open a door who's within it, it's very hard from somebody in the, uh, on the beach, as it were, to pick up a grain of sand. It's a bit like that analogy. Unless somebody opens a door, you're never going to get in. So that's something that if I ever did make a breakthrough and – Perhaps we'll talk about the Rendlesham script that I've written with Colonel Charles Holt, which stands a good chance, I think, of making a breakthrough at some point. Uh, then that I would then go back at some point to uh, conclusive proof because everybody who's read it said it's a really good story. And, and I actually turned it into a 100,000-word book. I've got it, uh, and I'm kind of like toying with the idea of releasing it as an e-book 
because the technology is there now. Uh, I'd need a couple of months to revamp it, but uh, essentially you could bring it out as an e-book in the next few months if I so desired. So it's something I may go back to because it's a good story. I got several questions to ask you. But first of all, a piece of advice from those of us who have been there in book writing, like myself and Chris. Before you publish a book, get a professional editor. Hire a professional <laughs> editor to do it for you because there's no way, nobody out there is capable of editing all their own work. You need a professional, a third party who is skilled. That. Yeah, I accept that. Okay, this doesn't that. reflect on the quality of your writing. No, but this you is some from people who have done it. So you don't see it. Right. They'll find the things that you missed. Okay. Colonel Charles Holt was on the Paracast two weeks ago. Yeah, I listened to the show a few days ago uh, with Leslie Kane. And, yeah, it was interesting. Well, okay. So how did you hook up with him, and how did you come by writing this script about Rendlesham? Well, basically, that, again, is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a tale in itself. And you, I was ne- I'm not religious in any way, uh, and uh, I, I never believed in fate as such or anything like that, but... There are some bizarre kind of synchronicities, which is a word I'd never used before. But what happened there was that uh, because of my work on the database, and I, and I think by about now 2006, uh, I'd collected about 200 cases involving about 500 officers. So it was already a substantial amount of officers involved that the uh, UFO Hunters program approached me with National Geographic to uh, to do a program on law enforcement officers, and they wanted to do a bit about the database. So anyway, there's ongoing negotiations about what's going to be in the program, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually it gets to the filming schedule, and they said, oh, we're flying over with the crew in December 2007, I think it was. And basically I said, well, okay, then, so uh, you're coming over to film uh, about me and my work on the database. Well, what other subjects are you going to be filming in England? And they said, Rendlesham Forest. Well, when they said that, I said, uh, who are you bringing over for that? And they said, oh, we're bringing over Colonel Holt. And I said, oh, that's good, because I'd like to meet him. And they said, why? And I said, well, I've followed the case for a long time, and perhaps I'm in a unique position to be able to add to the case, because between 1983 and 1989, I'd served in the Royal Air Force as a police officer, and for three of my six years, I'd served on two nuclear bases, uh, doing exactly the same job that those US Air Force police officers had done at Bentwoods and Woodbridge. So I kind of knew the inside truck on how it would work with nuclear weapons. And in fact... Uh, when I looked at some of the photographs that were out there of the uh, Bentwaters weapon storage area, when I looked at a photograph I'd taken of RAF Larbrook's weapon storage area after the base had closed and I'd gone back a few years later and I was allowed to walk around it freely, it was an identical layout. So I knew it was a nuclear base. And uh, basically I said, well, I'd like to meet him because I'm sure that there's other witnesses. Uh, there's got to be more witnesses who are on the site itself a weapon storage area site and also the people in the tower would have definitely seen anything above treetop height and bear in mind that the trees at that time when it was a working base had to be kept i think at 40 feet high uniform form around the base uh, and the, the actual tower was 80 feet high so it had a full 360 view so they said oh well yeah we quite like that idea so in a sense, through my own manipulation of the situation, I engineered to meet Holt, and they, they went for it. And 
as luck would have it, on the day I arrived at the hotel, uh, the film crew, it was, I think it was about 7 o'clock in the evening, and uh, I arrived, checked into the hotel, and uh, the, there was a message for me saying, oh, the film crew are out and about doing some filming. And then as it happened, I saw Colonel Holt in the hotel, and he didn't recognise me, but I recognised him. And so I approached him and said, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be involved in this programme. Uh, should we have a drink? And I, I bought him a drink. And we ended up in this kind of great position where whilst they're out filming uh, for about three hours, because they didn't come back until, say, half past ten, uh, I had three hours in the pub asking every question under the sun to him. And, uh, 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 and it was during that process of probing him, uh, at the end of that meeting, I said, has anybody ever considered writing a film script based on your experiences in the whole case. And he said, no, people have talked about books and things like that with me, but it's never happened. And I said, look, I, I kind of dabble in screenplays. I says, I've never had one made professionally into a film. I says, but, you know, I think this is such a good case. Would you allow me to write it? And he basically said, yeah, I'll collaborate on me with it. And, and that's how it started. So basically what I said was, OK, thanks very much. I'm now going to go away and research everything I can find in the public domain, in books, TV, documentaries, etc., and then come back to you with a list of questions in a few months' time. And he said, okay, and that's exactly what I did. That's uh, absolutely fascinating. He sounds like the kind of guy that, um, I mean, he's a, a no BS kind of guy. You could tell, uh, you know, with his, his appearance on the show, he's very uh, cut and dried, sticks to the facts uh he doesn't he's not a man of wasted words uh he'd be a really good person to write a screenplay with because he's so terse you know that's well, the way well, screenplays need to be well, well he is and what I, I i mean i think people see things that aren't there in him um in the sense of uh they think he knows a lot more but i've asked those questions uh, and i've asked him some difficult questions as well things that i've been puzzled by but he's always come back uh, he's always come back straight away. I mean, I mean that process. I wasn't ringing him up left, right, and centre. It was all done by email. So I, I spent four months researching everything, and then drew up a timeline of my inquiries. And I'm looking at it through the eyes of a detective. Don't forget, doing an evidential timeline. Right. Uh, and then said, right, here we go, uh, uh, there's this question, I want this answering, this answering. And, and every time I sent, fired off an email with a question, he would come back literally a few hours later. Obviously, there's a time difference, but a few hours later. And I always found him very uh, responsive. Uh, he didn't appear to be in any way hiding anything like that. For me, we always have had a very good rapport, and it, and it, and it continues to this day. And basically, he answered everything, uh, and after about a year... I came up with the first draft of the script. And so I sent him it and said, what do you think? And he said, no, I like it. It's good. It's, it kind of fills in the blanks. You've told it uh, over the whole event, not just his event, uh, and incorporated three nights of activity. And that's been an ongoing process. But what you've got to realise is that I was a working detective, so when I was in the job... I, could own, I couldn't do it all the time. You just don't have the time, right. especially with having a life, you've got children, whatever. So it was an, on an as-and-when basis. So it's been going on over several years. And, of course, my the more I've learned about the case and the more people I've talked to, you slightly uh, change certain things. And, and my writing skills have improved as well, uh, etc. over a period of time. So, in a sense, during the time I was in the police, it was step-by-step, step, gradual 
focusing and sharpening up of a script. And I would send it to people within the film industry that would sometimes approach me, you know, I'd say, look, you know, if there's any screenwriters out there, you know, come approach me and I would send the material to them. And eventually it's got to the stage now in retirement or close to retirement that I realised that I was pretty close with the reviews that I was getting back from professional people in film and television that had read it, that I was pretty close to having something that's pretty much there in terms of pitching. Gary Heseltine, joining Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Introducing a 30-day emergency food supply for only $99. At 30dayfoodsupply.com, you can purchase Oregon Trail Foods' one-month supply of high-quality, nutritious, and healthy emergency meals for less than $100. These vegetarian meals are all-natural, non-GMO, high in carbs and protein, and are packed with oxygen absorbers in Mylar pouches. They take up to 70% less space than number 10 cans, have a 20-year shelf life, and huge portions, over twice the serving size of some competitors' meals. Oregon Trail Foods and 30dayfoodsupply.com keep prices low by buying direct from producers in Oregon and then pass the savings on to you. Purchase a 30-day, 90-serving emergency food supply for only $99 this month and $10 ships your entire order to the lower 48. Call 541-673-6666 or visit 30dayfoodsupply.com where they make preparedness affordable. 30dayfoodsupply.com. Got it? Get it. Go to 30dayfoodsupply.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Gary Heseltine joining Gene and Chris on the Paracast. He's talking about this movie screenplay he wrote with... Colonel Charles Halt, who was one of the people involved in the Rendlesham encounter. Is this meant to be a documentary or a fiction film? Well, basically, what where we're at now is uh, the review, the professional reviews that I've had have basically said, you have got two things here. You've actually got a kind of blow-by-blow, accurate timeline docudrama, which stands up. But what they said was that you need to change that, which is kind of like the original version I had. You need to change that if you want to make it a cinema release. We suggest that you make two. You've got the docudrama version, which is 
total kind of blow-by-blow reconstruction. But if you want a theatrical version, you're going to have to make it more character-driven, etc., etc. And I think because I was so close to the material for a long time, I had difficulty kind of accepting what to include from a theatrical cinema presentation and what I wanted to have in a blow-by-blow documentary kind of story. In the end, I got the message. I then ended up with a theatrical version, and that's now been theatrically uh, reviewed by several people in the business, and they're all saying it's very good now. So it's there or thereabouts. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that's the finished product, because I don't think any script ever is, no matter who you are. You know, uh, once a, a film company gets involved, they would have their own ideas or whatever. But essentially, it's up to the point where it's good enough, it's uh, set out right, the layout, format, etc. It's good enough, and, and everybody's saying it's good. So I, I now, it was one of the reasons why I decided to retire. The other reason was I, I felt compelled, for some reason, to do more active research. Technology had changed. Obviously, I think we will talk about this, that I'm launching an online magazine, which, uh, to me, will have the strongest lineup of researchers in the world as far as i can see and i've looked at all the printed magazine other online magazines they've all agreed to do it so it felt to me like the time was right but what you have to remember is that when i was in the police initially when i began my research i was allowed to say and do whatever without any interference but in the last four years five years of my time in the police almost 24 years i was under a lot of pressure to the point where in 2009, I wrote to the MOD, the Ministry, British Ministry of Defence, when they closed, their, they suddenly decided to close their UFO reporting facility, which had been in existence for over 50 years. I thought, well, what are police forces going to do? They're still going to get anywhere between 354, 500 sightings a year around all the 43 national uh, county police forces. And I wrote to them and said, look, I'm a detective with the British Transport Police. I've got X amount of service. The MOD have closed the UFO reporting desk. Are you aware? If not, you're going to have to get some kind of contingency plans in place because you're still going to have sightings, but who are you going to send them to? Would you mind sending them to me uh, because I'm a, in my uh, spare time, I do UFO research. I've got this database for police officers, so I know the rules on data protection and things like that. Could you send the information to me? And of the 38 forces that I wrote to, within uh, a few days, 24 of those forces came back and said, we weren't aware of this at all. Yes, we'll look at it in our strategic planning. And within a week or two from that, two forces, uh, Suffolk, which is where the Rendlesham event coincidentally took place, and my own hometown force of Humberside said, we will point you as what's called a SPOC, a single point of uh, contact, and we will pass cases that come to us for you to research and whatever. So I thought, oh, great. Then I then get called into my area commander, a superintendent, a chief superintendent, for a meeting. Uh-oh. Yeah, and he says, uh, you wrote one of the letters uh, to other forces. I said, yes. I said, it's a private letter to uh, uh, a chief constable and making out that I'm saying it's a private act. And he said, well... The story is that uh, my chief, my, our new chief constable, British new, Transport Police new chief constable, uh, had got a phone call from another chief constable who'd uh, kind of ribbed him about who's this UFO guy you've got and kind of trivialised it, was laughing at 
my chief constable. He took a dim view of that, obviously had a dim view of the subject, and he then instructed my area commander to set about misconduct hearing for bringing the force into disrepute. Whoa, you're yes. kidding. No, no. Cutting a long story short, I was then subject to a misconduct hearing that took a year to get to the final hearing. And at the end of that final hearing, where your job is potentially on the line and your pension and everything, at the end of that, I was given a 12-month written warning. Okay, so that means if anything happens in the next 12 months, we could sack you, basically. So I basically, after that, realised that, in a sense, I was on a collision course. If I continued my work in the vein that I had been doing, to the extent that I'd been doing it sort of media-wise. So I basically kept my head down low, and it made me realise it left a bit of taste. I still cannot see to this day how I can bring a force into disrepute for a private letter by just disclosing which force I belong to, and that's what had led to my being disciplined for bringing the force into disrepute. I'll never understand that, but you cannot beat a big organisation, so you're guilty, and that's it. Uh, 12-month written warning. So basically, the writing was on the wall for me, and I decided then, really, that as soon as I could financially afford to go, then I would leave, and that situation arose as a result of being married getting married and i decided that in 2013 i would retire and on the 31st of march this year i retired so now i can say or do whatever i want but that's the story i was disciplined oh gary i i I am really shocked that they would take your casual private interest and use that as uh some sort of rationale for misconduct and, and, and spanking you for that. It, 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 I'm really amazed at that. I mean, a, yeah. maybe well, a quiet uh, aside, you know, your commander take you aside and say, hey, look, you're being a little too public or something. But to actually, you know, threaten your pension yeah, when you've absolutely. been on the force 20 years. I mean, that I, I really, boy, that's, that's, exactly what that's not right. And no, it's not right. And uh, had it, now I could have understood about bringing the force into disrepute had I have stood naked, chained to a railing outside uh, uh, 10 Downing Street uh, and screaming, I believe in UFOs <laughs> kind of thing. And I could have understood that, but not through a private letter to a chief constable, just giving him a bit of information, basically, and yeah. asking him, would you kindly... And, I, and, and it's only because I mentioned which force I belong to. But I said to my uh, area commander, I said, well, that's ridiculous. I said, if I went into a bank and they said uh, to open an account, what do you do as a, as a job? I'd say a police officer or which force you with. And I went with the British Transport Police. What have I done wrong? What's essentially have I done wrong in this letter to the chief constable? It's a yeah. private letter. But anyway, it wasn't good enough and a 12-month written warning. But not very nice. Your job was potentially on the line. Uh, your career's on the line, uh, you've got mortgages and things like that. So, you know, it's a kind of a, a dangerous step and you can't beat a big organisation. You certainly, if the police wanted to make it very difficult for you, they certainly could. Well, you're pointing out something really interesting here. Uh, it's it's official attitudes towards the subject. We have Absolutely. a brand new poster at forum.theparacast.com that asks a really good question. It says, in your experience, Gary, how does the attitude toward UFOs in the British police establishment differ from its American counterpart, if at all? And I think that's a perfect place to ask that question. Have you found, uh, dealing with your American counterparts, that there's a still this stink and, and, I don't know, just this terrible tag uh, on this subject like you found? What, what you find is, uh, is that 
police officers in general, say the UK ones, that if you're in a group of people, uh, then it's a bit of a joke. But privately, if you're one-to-one sat in a police car uh, for a few hours with somebody, you get talking about all manner of things, and uh, you get onto this subject because over a period of time they began to know of me, and uh, and, and they would say, look, I, I've seen something, or I was in the uh, Air Force and my mate had seen something, or I was in the, uh, the Army and, uh, yeah, I had an experience there. So one-to-one... When it's quiet and nobody else around, people would start telling you UFO stories. This is uh, not uncommon, Gary. No, and it's, and not it's absolutely, but sure. it's, it's, it's because of this ridicule factor that's been attached to the subject over the last 60 years, certainly well, since the Robertson panel in 53. We have Gary Heseltine joining Gene and Chris. More to come. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Gary Cooper with Midas Resources Gold and Silver. Don't be surprised when the global elite confiscates money from your bank account one day. They have already very clearly telling you that they're going to do it. With what just happened in Cyprus serving as a blueprint for future bank bailouts, if you are concerned about keeping your money, why not consider storing your wealth in gold and silver? Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. Together we'll discuss your options of buying gold and silver. Again, the global elite have plans for your money and it doesn't include you. So call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130, and I will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you. Again, don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits. Call me, Gary Cooper, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 130. It's hard to imagine when things are going reasonably well, just how quickly things can change. But what would it take? Economic collapse? Massive crop failure? Chemical or biological attack? So many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty. There's nothing. Don't let that happen today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com or call toll-free 866-404-366. 
freezedryguy.com. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes, revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeant e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Gary Heseltine, former police detective in the UK, joining Gene and Chris, and we're talking about your experience and why you decided it was time to hang up the shield. At least there's a pension, I hope. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got my pension, so I've managed to escape with my pension, as it were. I can honestly say that in the, since the time I've retired, I've obviously been very busy on a number of fronts, but I haven't missed the job at all, because for me, it was the right time to go. Let's get a sense of your database now. Uh, now, are these primarily British reports uh, from British law enforcement, or have you? Do you have a percentage of of American cases, French cases? Uh, give us kind of a breakdown out of uh, all these hundreds of cases. Uh, where where do you assign them? Right. Basically, the uh, Proofos database, Proofos standing for Police Reporting UFO Sightings, that acronym. Uh, basically, Proofos caters for only British police officers. But there are two sections to which you can get on the database. One, you can have an on-duty sighting. And then two, you can have an off-duty sighting because I don't make any distinction really between the two in the sense of that if you're trained to use your professional reporting using your eyes, ears, etc., your senses to record in a chronological way for a court of law, then you're still going to do that if you have an off-duty sighting. So for me, it's, it's the same pair of eyes, it's the same process if you were going to write it up. So the majority of cases are on duty, but there are perhaps, uh, I don't know, uh, 15% of the cases uh, that are off-duty, which are still relevant to me, because most of those corroborated by their wives, partners, etc., children. If we look at the uh, cases in total, after uh, what is now 11 years of research, I now have over 425 cases, all British, involving over 940 British police officers, which I think is a lot of officers. Uh, But but interestingly, the more I've become well-known within the field and the more those numbers go up, the more the national media shy away from me. When I first launched... There was big interest, oh, police officers starting database, few national articles here and there, serious pieces. Uh, but as time's gone on and the numbers go up, 
paradoxically, uh, their interest in me reduces, which is kind of strange, because you'd have thought 940 British police officers is a lot. And it would make some kind of a headline or a little story here and there, uh, but in the Nationals, they won't go near me now, or if they do, it's uh, three or four lines and that's it, which is a bit bizarre, uh, and kind of adds to the aura of the, the more credible evidence you assemble, the less the media at national level wants to talk to you. So I, I kind of think that bears that out. Of the cases, what I'm not a big lover of statistics because I've learnt over the years in the police, and some people would say I shouldn't say this, but uh, police, like anybody else, will manipulate statistics for their own ends. And I've seen them do it. I actually worked in a department many years ago, 20 years ago, early on in my service, a newly created crime recording department where they would uh, say, well, we're having too many crimes of that type, we'll have a similar crime classification to that, we'll call them them as well. So so basically we're manipulating the figures. And it's always stayed with me. I think statistics can be manipulated in any way to show whatever you want. It's like clever editing of a TV programme. I'm not a big lover, but the statistical work that I have done on the database, the last time I really had an in-depth look at the stats uh, was about three years ago. Uh, and since then, I kind of like just kept it a mental profile when I add to it each year. Of the 425 cases, 70% approximately are multiple officer witness cases. 70%. So that means of 425 cases, over 300 are multiple officer cases. Now, that's a lot. And, it, and that, it again, that is a lot. And again, it strikes at the skeptic who'll say, oh, well, it's just the police officer at three in the morning, he's tired, he, he's misinterpreting something. I think the odds are when it's 70% of two or more, and in some cases I've got five, six, seven, eight, in one case, 24 officers watching objects travelling over six counties on the, in, in 1993, which is the Cosford incident, which is a well-known British case. That's a lot of officers to get it wrong. You know what, before we go on, would you briefly summarize that particular case you referred to? Because not all our listeners follow this stuff that carefully. In the UK, it's called the Cosford Incident. And basically, we're talking about uh, the night of the 30th into the 31st of March, 1993. And effectively, there were a whole number of uh, civilians uh, reporting uh, at least one, possibly two lights that were either joined or it was one object moving across the sky over six counties. And basically, as it, as it crossed over the six regions, these large areas of, uh, of counties of England, police officers were catching sight of it as time went by. So in a sense, you end up with a situation as it starts effectively uh, towards the Midlands and then drifts to the southwest, going out towards Bristol uh, and Wales and that, and that kind of area. So it's travelling over several counties and police officers must be getting tipped off uh, that there's objects approaching and they're seen from lots of different vantage points. Uh, police officers, two, ones, threes, in groups from different geographical positions watching this. And it led to a big spate of uh, calls, coincidentally, through to Nick Pope, who, who's obviously known for his time at the MOD desk, which was 
whilst he was at the reporting desk because he was there between 91 and 94. So he ended up one morning with all these calls from police officers saying we've seen these strange objects. He did some re research on it and uh, was able to confirm to the satisfaction of himself that in the rare instance uh, the British government admitted that there was an unknown aerial object travelling uh, over the skies of Britain that has never been explained which for the MOD is extremely rare, but that's well done, Nick, on that. Yeah, I do faintly kind of remember that case. I remember it did uh, it did make some headlines, and, and it is one of the best documented cases, I think, uh, in recent past there. Again, now, you mentioned that you're only primarily you're you're dealing with british uh, law enforcement have you ever thought of expanding this there are a number of very very good cases involving american law enforcement officials have you ever thought of of, of maybe slowly starting to collate uh, outside of uh, the uk cases yes but i think there's drawbacks to that yes i could collate them but it wouldn't be the same as somebody in the united states who was a police officer ideally or a, or a retired police officer who would be able to talk to his American counterparts in a way better than I would. Because, yes, there's a certain kinship, and that's why I started uh, with the Proofos Police Database, because I was a serving detective, so when they rang me up, they'd say, oh, you're never going to believe me, blah, blah, blah. They were a bit shy at first, but we could talk about police things. They soon realised that I was the genuine article. They relaxed, and then they would tell me the story. To a certain extent, I think you need that in whichever country you're going to have a similar police database, an army database or a pilot's database. You need to have a certain level level of kinship to get them to open up. You need to have that familiarity with right. the way the protocols work. So in that sense, I think it's better to be done by somebody of the country where they're setting up the database. Right. But, uh, I've had American officers contact me, but nothing on any really official level. They would just tell me about one or two cases. I was already aware of many of the American cases, and they're outstanding. And I would say in America, given the size of the country, if somebody did what I have done, you would quickly, over five or ten years, you'd end up with thousands of cases because of pure size and populations, etc. Gary Heseltine joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
yourself. A natural disaster strikes, and out goes your power. You risk losing stored food in electric freezers and refrigerators. Your options, lose all that expensive food and medication, fire up a noisy gasoline-powered generator, or switch now to a propane or natural gas-powered refrigerator from Ben's Discount Supply. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com has a complete line of propane-powered refrigerators. Freezers in sizes ranging from a small camper cooler size up to a whopping 21-cubic-foot refrigerator freezer or a 22-cubic-foot deep freezer. In stock and ready to ship anywhere. Ben'sDiscountSupply.com also stocks a full line of solar-powered appliances to get you completely off the grid. Check out Ben'sDiscountSupply.com or call 800-771-7702. That's 800-771-7702. Or click Ben'sDiscountSupply.com for camping, home, or bug-out location. Bank on Ben'sDiscountSupply.com. Wouldn't it be nice to have one product that replaces more than 10, saving you space, time, and money? HempUSA.org has a complete full-spectrum vitamin mineral detox formulation called MicroPlant Powder Gold. MicroPlant Powder Gold contains 101 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and iodine, has a 100-year shelf life, and is a perfect addition to any storage shelter. Make MicroPlant Powder Gold your choice. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org today. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a silver dollar in a book explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Springtime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's spring specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. And Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988. Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. Gary Heseltine joining Gene and Chris. He's a retired police officer, set up a database to collect sightings from his fellow officers in the UK. And we were talking just very briefly in our previous segment about whether they can extend the joy to the U.S. Have you ever thought, Gary, very briefly before we get back to listen to questions from Chris, maybe working with researchers in other countries to build a global database of such reports? Yeah, no, I, I, I would welcome that. But what you've got to realize is that, that in retirement, I've set up to do two things specifically. And there is only so many hours in the day. As an aside to that, 
I then want to promote actively the Rendleton script, which is called Three Nights in December, and it's basically telling the time frame story of the three nights of, con- of consecutive activity between the morning of the 26th through to the morning of the 28th. So that's three nights of activity. So that's what it's called, Three Nights in December. But the two principal reasons I retired were, one, to launch and set up UFO Truth magazine, uh, which will is a bi-monthly magazine, which will the first issue will be available on the 25th of June. The website's already up and running, so anybody can have a look, can subscribe to it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the other thing which people aren't aware of is that over my time, during my almost 24 years of service in the police, I saw two colleagues of mine, police fellow officers, commit suicide. Not saw them as in physically commit suicide, but they committed suicides whilst uh, they were in the job, whilst I was in the job. And there were two friends of mine. Uh, I've seen lots of police officers dealing with chronic stress, being in denial, burnout, quitting the job rather than admit that they've got a problem, uh, driven to the brink of suicide, being off sick for long periods of time. And so one of the things that I said I would do in retirement is set up a an unofficial national website for UK police officers and stress. And that I did first in retirement. I did that first, and that's called uh, policepressure.co.uk, and that's a a resource centre with coping strategies, helplines, etc., etc., information, stress statistics, uh, anything I can find, basically, on stress and the police. So that's important to me. Uh, So that's now up and running, so that's a separate entity. Uh, And then, of course, I've then started working on launching the magazine. So the two very distinct things, but I think equally worthy. With regards to the magazine, you know, uh, the list of columnists is, uh, is, is, I think, very strong. You know, you've got the likes of AJ Javad uh, from Brazil, who's one of probably, in my opinion, one of the top five researchers in the world. You've got Roberto Panotti from Italy. You've got uh, Bill Chalker from Australia. You've got Susan Hansen from New Zealand. Uh, you've got Pia Nudson, who's an upcoming researcher from Denmark, ExoPolitics, things like that. Mary Rodwell, I'm sure you'll have heard of, people like that, uh, plus a host of UK researchers. But as well as that, it's the guest columnist, Peter Robbins. Peter Robbins, obviously well known for Left at Eastgate, working with Larry Warren on that, and Rendlesham. Uh, he's uh, also a, a, a regular columnist. But what you've also got is the guest columnists who've agreed to take part in future issues, and that's you're looking at. Uh, Robert Salas, obviously with the Maelstrom missiles, recently gave evidence. The citizens' hearings, which we will probably talk about at some point, um, which I think were very uh, important, although some people might argue with that. Steve Bassett, Richard Dolan, Grant Cameron, Andrew Johnson in the UK, Lloyd Pye. These kind of people have all said that they will contribute in the future. So it's a very strong lineup, uh, as far as I can see, of what I would call, you know, very serious researches with uh, long track records of of stuff that I think is evidential. You know, you raised one issue there, and I wanted to bring it up. The citizen hearing on disclosure. Now, our own Chris O'Brien was there working as a videographer, so we had kind of an on-the-scene discussion. And the concerns voiced by people like Leslie Kane and Robert Hastings and others is the fact that, yeah, you had a large number of speakers with a lot of very important things to say, well-documented cases, and then you had a few rabble-rousers 
in the group yep. who had less well-documented things. And if you look at the press coverage in the USA, I don't know whether you have seen it or not, and I haven't seen what might have happened in your country. You'd see yeah. that the press seized on the less, shall we say, scientific claims to the exclusion of everything else. And this is one of the well, problems so that always happens. So the question, of course, and the argument being, well, if we're going to do things that way, maybe these speakers should be left out, be a little bit more politically correct, because you want to get scientists to look into this phenomenon and not find excuses, more and more excuses to basically ignore it. No, no, I, I, w I would agree with you, because I always go from the evidential point of view. And, Which is why uh, I wonder about Stephen Bassett, because he doesn't seem to care about evidence. We've had him on the show several times, and he doesn't care about vetting guests because he's pretty much admitted that. Well, uh, Steve Bassett is a, is a complicated character in the sense of when I first met him in Laughlin 2010, he walked into a room as if he owned it, and he came across to me as being very arrogant. Uh, then, uh, in a strange kind of quirk, a few months later... He, uh, well, that was the February 2010. In the May of 2010, he invited me uh, to speak at his uh, conference in, uh, in, at the National Press Club, coincidentally. And unbeknown to me, I, I, I was to receive the uh, Disclosure Award for, for 2010. I had no idea, honestly no idea that that was happening. So I went to Washington and uh, uh, suddenly uh, I get this award. And then he, he does something that's kind of like an alter ego. He... Uh, he did like a stand-up routine uh, at the Saturday evening awards kind of night, uh, which was absolutely hilarious. And I saw a completely different side of him. And I think he's kind of a, a manic character. But I would have to say that uh, my opinion of him changed quite a lot then because I saw a different side, uh, a fun side to him. When you see him in this subject, he's very, uh, very serious. Uh, but I think he's a brilliant speaker. Regardless of... Yes, you're right. Perhaps he should have vetted people more. I entirely agree with that. But I would still say on the balance of the people that were there, the vast majority of people there were well-respected researchers with excellent track records. You know, when you're talking about pilots, there's nowhere to go. They're either lying or they're telling the truth. When you're talking about people like Robert Salas in the missile incidents shutting down nukes, there's no way to go. That guy is straight up. So the quality of some of the witnesses, and I would say the majority of them, Roberto Panetti was there, AJ Javad, absolutely incredible track records uh, with uh, totally uh, impeccable records. You know, so there were, for me, there were a lot of very high-caliber people there. Yes, I think with hindsight he will have learned some things. Uh, but his, he, I think his remit was to try to uh, uh, just get us to have what we could only do in the public domain is a mock congressional hearing or as near to it. And I was there for virtually all of the sessions and I can state as a police officer that the setup in the press club with the six politicians, the, the former senator, the, the five former congressmen and women, the table uh, where the uh, speakers were giving testimonials, the oath that was taken, it was done very professionally. And I would say it was very akin to being in a court of law or what would probably be a proper congressional hearing, except for the fact that 
there was occasional bursts of clapping and hooing and harring with something that was said popular, which wouldn't happen in a full proper congressional hearing. But it, believe me, it was done very solemnly and the people gave their evidence in a courtroom type manner. And so I would have to, to take my hat off to Steve Bassett for one, getting it all together. I think I think he, he would have probably been a nightmare to live with because he's that kind of manic character. But I'd have to take my hat off to him and say I think he pulled it off. It was a brilliant event. Before we do our break, which we will in a moment, I just hope that your changed impression of Steve Bassett is not because you got an award. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Funny, funny. Okay. Just mentioning that, I think you understand our concerns because the least common denominator and the talking points and the sound bites of what the press is going to seize on, which is why I understand Leslie Kane's point of view. You've got to vet your guests. You have to make sure that every last one of them, without exception, has something responsible to present and don't try to sell too much because you're going to hurt the cause, as they say. Okay, we've got Gary Heseltine joining Gene and Chris. More questions from our listeners coming up next. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. To thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited-time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open-pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123freeseeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123freeseeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123freeseeds.com. 
big business has discovered the preparedness market, and that makes it difficult to know where to go and who to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com is owned and operated by patriots just like you, has the best prices on storable food, non-GMO seeds, water filtration devices, home canning equipment, survival and self-reliance books, and more. MyPatriotSupply.com has old-fashioned values and the absolute best customer service in the industry. Look for the deal of the day. Unique, affordable survival supplies that fit anyone's budget. Get same-day shipping on all orders and free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. 866-229-0927. Or visit MyPatriotSupply.com for emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Shop with a name you know and a name you can trust. Before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com There's a guy named Dr. Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor. Both a veterinarian and a naturopathic physician, Doc asks, why is this country spending more money on health care by far and ranking 50th in health and longevity worldwide? Doc believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, taking charge of their life, and attaining optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic pharmaceutical drugs that lead to side effects that require more expensive and toxic pharmaceutical drugs. Talk about being dependent on drug companies to our own destruction, no less. This is clearly a deadly recipe. Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the government and big pharma manipulation of our health and healthcare system. I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about healthcare, and I've joined forces with him to help this tireless crusader spread his message. Visit brightsideben.com and listen to Doc Wallach's deadly recipe lectures. It makes a lot of sense, and I invite you to join our Brightside Ben team. Go to brightsideben.com. That's www.brightsideben.com. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we have UFO researcher, former police officer Gary Heseltine. He's got this database of police reports, and a little bit later we'll tell you how to get his new magazine. We'll talk about that. But right now, Chris, you've got loads of questions from our audience. Let's have a few more I do, and you know, I'm 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 sitting here fascinated listening to Gary. Uh, pretty much voice my my uh, exact opinion about the hearings. I I was very surprised uh, and pleasantly so that uh, the hearings were able to maintain this level of gravitas that you normally don't associate with uh, this particular subject. Unfortunately, uh, there were a number of questionable um, submitters of testimony. I won't get into any names, but... Uh, I will. Heard. Stephen Greer, <laughs> Linda Moulton Howe. Is that a good start? That's a pretty good start. But uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer's closing statement, quoting E.T. verbatim uh, dialogue from the book of a questionable abductee and uh, telling the Congress people what... Uh, the aliens' concerns are for humanity was not the way to uh, sum up the entire proceedings. And I don't know uh, about you, Gary, but I just felt that that just took all the air out of any sort of uh, gravitas balloon. (laughs) Well, no, I I agree entirely with that. Uh, It wasn't 
in my opinion, for him to start quoting questionable things that you can't ordinarily prove easily. Uh, for me, it was all about, it was a week to present some of our best evidence from the pilots, the military people, etc., etc. And that's really what it should have all been about. Uh, I don't think it was really for anybody to start speculating about where they're from, what they're doing, because I've always took it from the point of the common sense person in the street that I, that's the kind of person I want to reach. And if you talk about alien abductions, which I do believe are real, uh, but if you just said that to an ordinary member of the public who has no idea of the subject, they will laugh at you and walk away. Yeah. So for me, the best way to engage the ordinary person is to talk about pilots, to talk about radar operators, to talk about police officers, people they can identify with to bring them into the subject, to open up their minds to what's involved in this very complex subject. You know, I, I honestly believe that, uh, you know, Steve, Steve Bassett uh, would have rather he didn't do that, but you'd better ask Steve about that. But the thing is, the bottom line is it's still an amazing thing because Paul Hellyer was uh, former Defence Minister of Canada and I think at one point Deputy Prime Minister. So even in a kind of strange kind of way, he got away with it because of the gravitas of his former political background. You know, this how many people of deputy prime minister of a country like you know a big country like Canada will actually say anything about UFOs? It, maybe it's questionable what he said, but his belief in ET is very rare for a senior politician like that to ever speak about it. So I think that's in a sense why he was there at the end. Yeah, uh, I don't think Steve knew what he was going to come out with, and I think he probably thinks he rather he didn't come out with what he came out with because I agree we shouldn't be really speculating on things unless we've got a really evidential basis to quote. Yeah, well, like you stated, you know, almost uh, as a fact that there are, what, five to seven different E.T. races that are interacting and visiting Earth. and I mean, just uh, really out there, unfounded stuff, which I, I really was, I, I, I joked on the... <laughs> on this show that I was trying to tickle my nose so I could come up with one of those fake sneezes that uh, featured the uh, BS word. But I I really, it took a lot for me not to, not to just go off and and just start something to embarrass myself. I I think a lot of people were surprised he came out with those comments, but I think because of his political background, he kind of thought he had remit to say whatever he wanted, but uh, altogether, I would say and, and then the proof in the pudding will be is that on the citizen hearings, I think it was an amazing event overall. It, there were far more pluses than negatives for me. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. And, and, and whether it's this week, next week, next year, after I'm dead, sooner or later, there will be some kind of a breakthrough on this subject, whether you call it disclosure or whatever. But there will be an acceptance that ETE is there. As and when that happens, I think it will all come back to those citizen hearings as being one of the first key yeah. collective political points in history where people tried to do something politically. Because to me, that was a political event. It was not a UFO conference. It was yeah. a political event. And we have yeah, to correct. politicize UFOs to make an impression on the world. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I, I think that, uh, you know, it's baby steps forward, a uh, couple steps back, baby steps forward. And I, I do think it was important. Uh, and it did... It did gen- engender some some good coverage out there. The New York Times being the most notable that that one yeah, night where you and I hung out and the guy read the uh, articles that was being posted. That was kind of that was exciting. 
Well, that was exciting for you because you know the American audience. For me, I read that article, somebody showed me it on the phone, and it was, it, I would class it on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of UFOs. It was probably a 7. I know it was important because it was in the New York Times that doesn't usually say anything, but it wasn't great shakes. But because of its notoriety and the past criticising of the subject, it was fairly important. But he won a great article, but it was a slight step forward. That's, I think, what it was. But what I would say was that, you know, in the course of the week, what impressed me, and for me there was a eureka moment, and I think you were there to probably witness this, was like just on the Monday, the first day of the hearings, at the end of it, when the summing up by former Congresswoman Caroline Kilpatrick, when she was doing the summing up at the end of the first day of people giving testimony, there was more like a eureka moment because she said, look, I'm bowled over by the testimony, the quality yeah. of the testimony that was given. And she said, after one day, I've heard enough that convinces me there should be full congressional hearings. And yeah. it's at that point there, the whole panel behind her, politicians stood up, clapped, the whole audience broke out into into applause, and Steve Bassett was wheeled in and took a round of applause. Now, that was totally unexpected, that yeah. just on one day's hearing of the evidence, that these politicians, who didn't really have a clue about it, were convinced enough to say, yeah, we've heard enough, you've got some good evidence there. And this is before the questionable people, really. Uh, it was it was a historical first day in the sense of they set out the parameters of what was going to follow during the week. You know, Richard Dolan is a very uh, skilled historian and brought a lot of gravitas to this subject. He's written arguably the best book ever written, the first part of his trilogy, UFOs and the National Security State, as the right. best history book on politics and UFOs that I've seen. Uh, so, you know, he was there. You, you've got Grant Cameron, who's an excellent researcher from Canada. Uh, I think Stanton Freeman was there on the first day. You had uh, Stephen Bassett. Yes, there was Stephen Gray there as well, which is, a, which is an aside. Uh, but I do think that, you know, overall, that was an amazing point for them, somebody with, with her level of experience in public office, to say, and they all stood up and clapped. So the whole panel of six stood up. And what came out during the week was that they were almost having brain overload. By the second day, they were almost embarrassed by the quality of some of the evidence, the pilot cases. Just can I give one example of where this came out? Senator, former Senator Merrill Cook uh, had been, I think, fairly sceptical during the week and had kept saying, yeah, but you're not saying it has to be ET. You know, there was always a get-out kind of thing. But when he heard the uh, testimony live from the pilot, Colonel Oscar Santa Maria from Peru, who said that he chased and shot at a UFO in broad daylight and went on an 18-minute dogfight. The body language of Merrill Cook, his jaw was literally on the ground. And to see a politician reduced to being in awe of that testimony was uh, a privilege to be there. <laughs> uh, and that's how powerful it could have been. Now, I, I, I think you could have had 50 pilots there who were vetted up to the eyeballs, and that would have been an even more impressive than all of us put together. Yeah. But 50 pilots, there's no way to go with pilots, but, you know, especially in broad daylight, especially when it's radar confirmed, ground and airborne radar confirmed, often multiple air ground uh, radar and ground. You know, those kind of cases are just prove it on its own to me. Yeah. 64 rounds of 30-millimeter cannon fire. That, that's that's, that's the fact. It gets me. 
Well, you know, let, it, let's let's move on. Uh, we got a bunch of questions, Gary. A lot of people are excited that you're on the Paracast, and we finally got you here. I've only been doing 11 years, so I'll enjoy the one in 11 years' time, maybe. Yeah. Or you'll be screaming and yelling, wondering why you ever got involved in the UFO field. And, gee, wouldn't it be more fun to go chase bank robbers? No, no. <laughs> We're going to have a break in a very short amount of time, so I just wanted to let you know that. And Chris will start our next segment with some more questions from our listeners. Our guest this week, ladies and gentlemen, is Gary Heseltine. He's a former police officer. He's involved in a database project in which he's collected hundreds of cases from fellow law enforcement officers in the U.K. He has a new UFO magazine coming out, something that I know a lot about, having done one of those things myself a long, long time ago in that other galaxy. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Being prepared against possible food shortages and economic collapse is not complicated. Just remember two words, disaster, stuff. Add.com after those two words and you've got just one side for all your preparedness needs. Disasterstuff.com prepares your family against food shortages with Linden Farms freeze-dried foods in buckets or Gourmet Reserves freeze-dried food in number 10 cans, both with free shipping. Purify and rid your water of contaminants with a Big Berkey or other Berkey system and get free shipping plus a water-level spigot or fluoride filter at cost and protect your radios and other electronics from EMPs with our EMP Faraday bags starting at just $5.90. When the food shortages and economic instability happens, be ready with all your stuff from disasterstuff.com. Just remember two words, disasterstuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have UFO investigator, former police officer Gary Heseltine. Lots of questions from our listeners. Let's jump right in, Chris. Well, this one comes from uh, somebody that we've been kind of dogging because of his on-screen name, which was Yeti Turds for Sale. 
he's uh, he's uh, I think changed that now to talking meat suit. <laughs> he's one of our he's one of our uh, fairly recent uh, additions to the forum family. But here's a really good question. He says he doesn't really have a question, but dating back to 1901 is intriguing for sure. I'd love to hear more about some of the really old, lesser-known cases. I wasn't aware that you had a case that goes back almost to the turn of the 1920th century. That's that's very interesting. You, uh, care to elaborate on those? Yeah, this is this is a case uh, that I, it's a, it's it's a newspaper article. But the reason why I've included it is because um, it names the officers that were on duty, which is unusual in that kind of time frame, and it also describes what is an object that we would, in the modern day area, would, would, would say was a cigar-shaped UFO, uh, exhibiting flight characteristics. And basically what happened in 1901 is that there are two police officers walking together on the beat uh, in Keithley, in not actually a million miles away from where I am now, in the county of West Yorkshire, which is where I live now. And they're on uh, walking around the town early hours and they see a cigar-shaped object that's appear- hovering low, uh, there's no real noise, and they see it, and it then sh- it's got a green glow to it, and then it, it kind of speeds off in the distance. Well, who knows what it is in 1901, and some people will speculate, oh, well, it's an early, early uh, dirigible, that kind of thing. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but the fact was that I've done some research on dirigibles in the uh, early 1900s, the late uh, 1890s, etc., and there is no evidence to say that there was anything flying officially or that was known about in that time. Now, and what makes it interesting is that there's obviously a green glow and no noise. Well, the first dirigibles would have an undercarriage that would have propellers and have little motors, so they would have made noise. So, again, it's open to interpretation. We'll never know. But it's certainly uh, an interesting sighting, and because the officers were named, I included it. Shades of the uh, Great Airship Wave uh, four years, uh, three years Absolutely. prior in the United no, States. You know, the 1897 wave in America is, is very yeah. similar. Ultimately, and then several years later down in New Zealand and, and I think Australia. Yeah. There was also another sighting that's on the database, again where the officer's name, uh, of uh, an officer in Peterborough uh, in England uh, seen in 1909, seen a large... Uh, cylindrical object but again the research says that there's nothing flying at that time in that area so who knows the thing is with historical cases and that's why i make the difference it's like the ancient alien kind of sort of stories uh i think there's some very interesting cases in terms of architecture structural engineering that i i am not convinced uh, are man-made but in the end, we're never going to know because they're simply historical and there's no way we're ever going to know. And that's the same with some UFO sightings, uh, you know, from 100 years ago. Yes, they're interesting, but will we ever prove whether E.T. or it was man-made? We'll never know. They're just open to conjecture, but they are, you know, but they are interesting. So, you know, uh, that's my take on that. Well, here's an interesting one about a case that I'm not familiar with. This comes from SLVA, who's been one of our posters since uh, 2009 at forum.theparacast.com. And this is interesting here. Please let us know your conclusions on the 1980 Sigmund Adamski, I think, Todd Morden case. Is it true that peace... I know about this case because it, it does relate to a famous British police case called that of Alan Godfrey. Now, you may have heard of Alan Godfrey because he's kind of recognised as Britain's first 
confirmed abduction case that fitted all the criteria. And it was a very well-known case. It went all around the world. Uh, and basically, I think November the 28th, 1980, Alan Godfrey has his sighting. Well, what happened with this Zygmunt Adamski? Zygmunt Adamski was not anything to do with the Adamski firm of contactee firm in the 50s, but basically Zygmunt Adamski was, I think, a Polish immigrant to England, and basically he lived about 25, 30 miles away from Todmorden, uh, and he basically went out one evening to uh, go to a local uh, grocer's shop and disappeared. Uh, Nobody knew where he went. Then what happens, Alan Godfrey's on duty in uniform when he's called to a body that's been found, on the top of a coal stack. Now, what I mean by a coal stack is it's a, you know, it's a, imagine a a big load of coal being dropped and it will create this cone effect. Well, effectively, he was called to a body that was found on the top of one of these cones. And at the top of it was this body laid on its back and uh, it had a look of fright, apparently, on on his face. Um, and he didn't have a shirt on, but he had a jacket on, he had a vest on, he had money in his pocket, and it looked to all intents and purposes that he'd been dropped onto the top of this coal stack. His clothes were filthy. Now, had he had clambered up himself, he'd have got filthy in the coal dust, didn't have any dust on him. Uh, What he also had was some, like, strange circular uh, blotch marks on his face, like sucker marks all across his face, and that I, I can verify that that was the case, because what happened was, Alan Godfrey goes to that, they're treating it as a murder scene. They don't know who the guy is. Uh, within a few days, uh, they're going round with a photograph, and he still has this photograph. He's never shown it to anybody, apart from me, I think, since he retired. But basically, I've seen this photograph, and it's got these sucker marks on the face, and it's a picture of a dead body, and they're going round the pubs, officially saying, do you know this man? We were trying to identify this man. Do you know who this man is? And nobody could identify him. It then turns out that five days later, uh, the person is confirmed as this Sigmund Adamski, and he's from this village, 25, 30 miles away, and and he'd gone out just to get groceries and then disappeared. Well, all the police research could not find any known link between him and Todmorden. And as far as I'm aware, there never was a confirmed link of how he got to that village, how he came onto the coal step. Now, where it gets kind of UFO related, it was that Alan Godfrey had had his sighting and uh, he, at one point, is called many months later in to see, I think, his chief superintendent who says, I want you to uh, sign this. And he took this chief superintendent turns over a piece of paper and it says, you're not to talk about your UFO sighting and you are not to talk about the Zygmunt Adamski sudden death. Well, if there wasn't a UFO connection before... I think you could argue why put those two together and, and, and make a link there. And what also makes it a bit strange is that when the body was found, it was found with an ointment from an abrasion on the back of the neck. Now, this ointment was sent off for forensic analysis to the Weatherby uh, Forensic Police Laboratory for forensic analysis, and on their known database of substances, they were never able to identify it, which is a bit bizarre. And this was confirmed... Uh, by the coroner, who was called uh, Turnbull, uh, who'd done thousands of cases. And this con, uh, uh, I think it was Alan Turnbull, went on TV and said, look, I've done thousands of cases. This is the most bizarre case I've ever dealt with. Confirmed that this ointment had never been identified and said, put it this way, if somebody told me that there was a UFO involved, uh, I would only raise one eyebrow. Now, that for a coroner 
to make that kind of remark is very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so there was a kind of a UFO connotation, still an unexplained case. Whether it's definitely UFO, I don't know. But it's a very fascinating case. And because it was tied to, linked to Alan Godfrey as the first officer on the scene for the body, uh, the press made a meal of it and incorporated that into a big news headline a year after Alan Adeli's sighting when the, I think it was the Sunday Mirror, uh, which was then a lead in the UK national paper, did a two-page article, two-page spread, and, and mixed the story up and said Alan Godfrey was involved in this UFO case and also was involved in this UFO case involving Zygmunt Adamski. So that's how that story became known in UFO circles. It was the press manipulating the situation. Hmm. A follow-up question that he has is an interesting one. It's one that I would ask as well. Have you seen a pattern emerging in the Proofos data that would suggest that there are certain hot spots around the British Isles, and if so, where? Yeah, I, I did. Again, going back to uh, the last real attempt I had at doing a full look at the statistics. We'll have to look at those patterns in a moment because we have to do yep. our break. That's no how it goes. We have Gary Heseltine. Joining us with Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at webtv.net that's mr ufo at webtv.net find out what they don't want you to know Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. American gardeners and fellow patriots, make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. 
Seed.com includes detailed planting and seed saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Gary Heseltine joining us. He has an organization called Proofos, is the acronym for an organization devoted to collecting a database on police UFO sightings. Chris asked you a question, Gary, in our previous segment, and I know you were about to give a long response, so please go ahead. Yeah, basically, as I said before, I'm not a big lover of statistics, but the last time I had a pretty in-depth look was about three years ago, and at that time, based on the number of cases then, it basically, when I plotted them across the UK, there were the into number of counties, uh, Scotland, Ireland, etc. The the biggest county that had police UFO sightings was centred around Yorkshire as a whole, which is where I live, and also the fact that when you looked at Yorkshire in policing terms and in UK geographical terms is divided into three West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire and North Yorkshire each have their own respective police forces but in the West Yorkshire was the where I live was the biggest concentration of police UFO sightings on the database followed then very closely by South Yorkshire and North Yorkshire so Yorkshire as a whole was a hotspot now I think there are some anomalies to that in the sense of I researched Alan Godfrey's story when I launched the database. I, one of the questions I always ask of the police officers that I research is, well, has any other police officer told you about a sighting? And quite a few of them say, well, yes. And I say, well, what's their name? Can you get me the telephone number? And it kind of leads me to another one. So you get that one, and then you say at the end of that process, do you know of any other places? Yes. And you can have a little chain. And with the Alan Godfrey, it led to about a spate of another eight or nine sightings which, had I have not gone to Alan Godfrey, the figures wouldn't have gone up proportionally, if you see what I mean. So, yes, I think overall it still is the highest concentration of UK police sightings, but there are some slight 
anomalies. That's interesting, and and it's also interesting to be right where you live too. That that kind of makes it a little bit more convenient, I guess. And I bet you well, keep your. You think about the synchronicities of how I've got involved in this subject, right? I, well, that, that I, makes I, sense. I moved to Yorkshire, and I set up the database. I get involved in part due to a magazine that was based and printed out of Leeds, where I worked. How It could have been anywhere in the UK. I wouldn't have been able to call in and see them then. So it's strange. And when I launched the database, Alan Godfrey lived about 25 miles away in Tod- near Todmorden. So, of course, he was going to be one of the first officers I contacted because right. I'd read about him in books. So, you know, that's kind of strange. Well, here's here's a, a question from one of our, our longtime posters, Burn State, at forum.theparacast.com. And, Gary, in your experience of sightings that involve both police and civilian witnesses, how often do reports match, and how often is there a disparity between what the witness saw versus the police officer? And if there is a high degree of disparity between these two sets of witnesses, how do you account for that? Well, I think you have to understand the nature of uh, of, of witness testimony, and I'm an adv- well, I was an advanced witness uh, interviewer of witnesses and suspects. So I've had psychological training in how to get suspects to talk or get them more chance of them talking. Uh, also, uh, I've been taught a method called the enhanced cognitive method of retrieving information from witnesses. So these are special techniques uh, that I usually can go and uh, basic in in terms of the police now. When you look at testimony per se, the sceptic will always say, oh, yeah, well, there's so many disparating things, you know, there's uh, anomalies between what people have said. Everybody's, 100 people could look out of their bedroom window now at the same thing and they would all come back with things that are slightly different. Some would say they saw a person running past the house in a red jumper. There's somebody run past in a blue jumper. Some say would say there were two people running past. But the essential element in all of this is, despite the fact that there are minor differences, the story of a person or somebody running past is the key. So you have to accept that people's testimony can vary slightly. Their descriptions, you can have people that say it was like a black guy, a Chinese guy, and it's clearly a, a, just an ordinary white Caucasian male. But in that short time frame, people can get things wrong. But the essential element of what's happened, I saw that man stab and then run away, is the, the evidence, key evidence bit. So perceptions can change. But that said, when we look at UFO sightings, there are many cases on the database that were reported in the media, and because the media, members of the public had rang up the newspapers in fright saying, I can see this strange light, well, who have you told? Well, we've told the police in the area alongside of us. So you have quite a lot of cases where initially members of the public ring in, they in turn, it gets to the police, the police turn up, and the officer goes, well, actually, I can see it too. And there generally is a correlation between basically they corroborate what the people are saying. You don't generally have a situation where a member of the public will say, I'm looking at an egg-shaped object over there, and the police turn up and go, I can't see anything. No, there are lots of cases that are in print where officers have gone on record making comments and saying, yeah, I saw this cigar-shaped object, 
you know, I went to it not thinking I'm going to see anything and I saw things. There is a correlation that says generally what people are reporting are bona fide. I kind of think that over the years, my 11 years of research, I also get members of the public ringing me and whilst I don't put them on a database, I, I do kind of log a lot of these, especially the more better sightings. And within minutes, I can tell if somebody's genuine or not, that they're, re they're recalling a real event. Ultimately, because I'm not there, it's harder to, pro to uh, speculate definitively what they've seen. But what is important is that if somebody says to me, yeah, I watched this object and it was over this uh, house and then suddenly it shot straight up vertically in the air at speed in the blink of an eye. Now, I know that that is one of the genuine characters of what I would say ET, craft after 60 years of research is. There are probably eight genuine characteristics which are effectively instant acceleration, instant stop, so the inertia factors there we can't do. The stop on a sixpence, as we would say in England. Reversals in flight, so instant acceleration, point stop, reversal in flight. Right angle turns, vertical ascent at high speed, vertical descent. The ability to render themselves visible, the ability to themselves render themselves invisible. And uh, effectively, most operate with no noise whatsoever. I think that's seven or eight. But these are characteristics that I think are borne out by genuine cases. So if somebody yeah. says well, I'm watching this thing and it's making right-angle turns in the sky. They may only have seen it for 30 seconds, but if they're accurate and they're especially corroborated by other people that are saying, yeah, we saw this thing making weird patterns in the sky, well, planes can't do that. You know, microlights can't do that without noise and they can't do it quickly. Um, but when people are making the same 90-degree turns and things like that, you're thinking, well, on the balance of probability, you've probably seen something that veers more towards unexplained and ET. Now, I don't accept in this modern era this concept of unexplained. It's not good enough. And the media accept and write off good cases by just saying, yeah, it was unexplained after investigation. Well, if, if you just said that to a member of the public, that, that kind of in, infers that there's not a lot to it. But if the case like Colonel Oscar Santa Maria is unexplained, what a travesty of justice that would be. Want to say something about whether unexplained is not important or not significant, then we go on. I don't want to quibble with words, but I'll mention that. We have Gary Heseltine joining us, answering your questions, listeners. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
What if you had a witness everywhere you drive? Now you can with VideoDashCam.com. From truckers to motorcyclists, the handy Video Dash Cam can be used for insurance claims, accidents, police encounters, road rage, or natural disasters. Has instant screen playback and optional night vision. Get the best quality, affordable HD Dash Cameras available at VideoDashCam.com. That's VideoDashCam.com. Or call 855-855-2022. Always have a witness with Video Dash Cam. We the people grow cotton. And weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light system today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio. Before Chris gets back to the questions, I wanted to just mention one thing, Gary Heseltine. That is, because something is unexplained doesn't mean it's not significant. It means we don't know what it is, but it's doing all sorts of weird things, and we have to figure it out. I don't think that denigrates the value of a case. If anything, it just means there's a mystery we have to figure out. Yeah, but I think that when you deal with, say, a pilot case, especially where it's a pilot case that's corroborated by other pilots, ground radar or airborne, we should be making more of a determination that 
gives a guesstimate of what it is. It's to me, it's a cop out for the press to say, "Well, it's unexplained." Yes, it is technically unexplained, but we have to make a best guess as to what it points towards. And what I mean by that is, you have to rule out what it is and what it isn't. And you should go through that process. And if you get to the end of ruling out all conventional, atmospheric, blah, 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 in these really exceptional cases, you shouldn't be afraid to say the circumstantial evidence points towards an exotic, unknown machine that does not appear to fit with our modern knowledge of physics and characteristics. And I think that points towards ET. That's my take on it. We should make a best conclusion. Well, I think one of the arguments we make on the PowerCast is that a lot of what you say is correct, but we're not ready to say it's E.T. that may be pushing it a little bit over the edge. But that's a difference of opinion. Chris, another question, please. Well, this is this is another question from Burton State. And again, this is the kind of question that, that I would ask. I think it's a very it shows some real insight on his part. Do cases involving close proximity between the officer and the UFO produce more distorted, bizarre reports with, let's say, time lapses, strange sounds, and or some sort of disjointed narrative compared to the more distant witnessing of an object just flying by in the sky? It's a good question. And he, his follow-up is also interesting. If proximity is a factor in producing reports of high strangeness, what do you think is going on in causing these events? Could these uh, have been the result of hallucinations because of some sort of energy being produced by these craft that's kind of my little addition at the end there uh in how many close proximity good quality close proximity cases uh approximately do you have off top of my head i couldn't quote you an accurate figure but i can think of many many cases that i would consider close proximity what i mean by close proximity would be within a few hundred metres, 200 metres, 300 metres, some less than 100 metres. So there are plenty of cases like that. As to the effects, then I can say only in a f- two or three cases are uh, officers affected in the sense of the, it, it, what they described to me kind of leaves them that there's the possibility of some missing time. But the, the couple of cases I can think of, the officers... Uh, of not been uh, wanting to go down that route at all. It, it is too problematical. They don't want to address that rightly or wrongly. So fair enough. What I would say is, so in the vast majority of cases, in the close proximity cases, there, there's no effects that I'm aware of. But what sometimes happens, and this has been described in, I think, at least a half a dozen cases that I can think of, is that police officers will see an object. They'll go through this rational process of thinking, oh, it's a plane. Or is it a plane or is it a helicopter? They'll go through all the what it can be and then kind of think, nah, it's not that. And then eventually they'll, they'll realise that they're dealing with something strange and something they say, it's their words, will compel them to flash the car headlights at them or to shine a torch at them. And sometimes when they've done that, the object reacts by either moving close in an instant or backing away in an instant, as if there's a a recognition communication factor. But beyond that, no. It's interesting because um, I've, I've found that as well, that um, people tend to be more amazed and more impressed uh, the closer they are to a particular object, especially in daylight. Uh, but I haven't really, I only have a handful of cases that have any sort of physiological, uh, apparent physiological effects from, from close proximity to a craft. Yeah. Here's one from uh, one of our German posters, Polterwurst. He's been a longtime poster here at the Paracast, and he says, Hello, thank you very much for coming on the show and for your outstanding work. 
What do you think is the number of police reports, uh, which are genuinely unexplainable, that have never been made public in relation to those that do? In other words, how many uh, cases do you think you're actually getting out of the ones that could possibly be there? Do you have a sense of of maybe, you know, I've, I've heard the number bantered around uh, one out of ten uh, UFO sightings are actually reported. Do you, do you have a sense of how many police officers are not coming forward with sightings? You know, I, I think I would probably agree with you in the one in ten. Uh, and the, the, the two common reasons that are absolutely loud and clear, and I think it's echoed by any other kind of profession, is that stops officers coming forward is the fear of ridicule as the primary Right. And then a secondary, which is a perceived risk to their career, i.e. look what happened to me kind of thing, that it can impact on you. And, it, and certainly Alan Godfrey, when you go back to that abduction case in 1980, when he was getting national publicity, the West Yorkshire police turned on him something chronic to the point where he was suing the force. Uh, but in the end, he had to drop it because he couldn't risk losing and losing his house. They were made his life very difficult for the remainder of his service, uh, much more so than ever hassle that I got. Mine's nothing as compared with the hassle that Alan got. Uh, so, yeah, generally speaking, uh, I think that it's a factor, uh, but I don't, I, I don't think it's very easy to make that determination. No, obviously, you, you, it would just be an educated guess. But his follow-up question is, what are the reasons police officers give when they do relate their stories to you and they do come forward? Why don't they remain silent about them? They must know what it does to their, you know, potentially will do for their reputation and social standing, as we were just talking about. What are some of the, the reasons that officers give when they actually file a report? Well, you move into two areas there. You move into the on-duty sighting that is reported officially, or you're talking about an on-duty sighting that, because of its size strangeness, is not reported and stays with the officer for many years. They don't tell anybody. I've had officers, several officers, several different cases, uh, have said to me, I only found out about your database by accident. I'm amazed that there's a police database like this. Um, You probably think I'm going to be crazy, but I'll tell you my story. So once I've convinced, convinced them that, I am who I say I am and that uh, I'm a bona fide police officer, as as was. Uh, Then they relax and they talk and they basically will say, look, I haven't even told my wife this, but me and a colleague in 1966 saw this and that kind of story. So you you can have stories. I've had many cases where multiple witness cases of like the two officers in the police car say, right, we're never going to talk about this again. And they don't tell their wives, they don't tell their families, and then they find out about me, and then one of them will ring me up and say, well, we had this story, and here's the details of my man who can come corroborate that. So I think that's, that's actually very common. I've had police officers almost in tears with the release, the relief, as it were, to finally be able to tell their story without this fear of ridicule and retribution to their career. Uh, uh, one particular case I can remember, he was almost in tears, and I spoke to him for two hours on the go, uh, and it was almost a cathartic experience. It was almost as if I was acting as a stress counsellor, and he <laughs> was unburdening himself with this thing. I Believe me, I know that feeling. Yeah. I've had that happen a bunch. You know, so it, a lot of people, because of this fear factor, uh, refuse to come forward. I, I sense that it's the tip of an iceberg, what I've accomplished. I think what I do could be set up by in every country of the world, so you could have a police database by ideally a serving or retired officer, so you've got that kinship element to get the officers to feel confident about coming forward. 
I mean, the thing is that the frustration is that as I've become more well known and the, the numbers have grown into the hundreds, many hundreds, what should have happened in a what you would say in an open media is that I should have got more well known. The figures should have been more widely reported in the mass media. So therefore, more people would know about me. Therefore, the odds are that more officers would come forward. Well, actually, the more I've come, become well known, the more the figures have come forward, the press don't want to go near me. Now, you've got to ask yourself logically, without being a conspiracy theorist, why that isn't. And the most logical answer is they don't want to know and they don't want to tell the people just right. how many good cases there are. And the press have a total clamp down on the media. I'll tell you what, let's do our break. We have Gary Heseltine joining us with Gene and Chris. More of your questions coming. You're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. The government's Department of Homeland Security is buying up loads of ammo. At the same time, they're restricting civilians' rights to own and purchase firearms. Can you put two and two together? Infidel Body Armor can stop every round, including hollow points and 308 sniper rounds. Is reasonably priced and fully legal. But for how long? Go to InfidelBodyArmor.com, spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L, BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. It's hard to imagine when things are going reasonably well, just how quickly things can change. But what would it take? Economic collapse? Massive crop failure? Chemical or biological attack? So many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty. There's nothing. Don't let that happen. 
Act today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com or call toll-free 866-404-3663. FreezeDryGuy.com I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep. Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. I ordered a third bottle of heart and body extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Gary Heseltine. He is a former police officer who has a database on UFOs, and of course he's got a new magazine called UFO Truth. He'll tell you about later. But right now with Gene and Chris... Chris is asking questions from you listeners, and we only have a few minutes left, so let's just get right to them. Chris? Well, this comes from uh, a real active uh, ufologist uh, from Calgary, Canada, calls himself Ufology. And the question is, as a trained detective, in your experience, Gary, what percentage of reports have turned out to be proven to your satisfaction to have been hoaxes? And can you please give us an example of such a hoax and what to look for during an investigation that would give it away as a hoax, other than the obvious you know, model hanging from a string scenario. What you've got to understand with my research is that when I was a serving officer, I was a detective, so I was very busy. So what I would say was I was a UFO researcher, and that meant that cases were coming to me. I would not have called myself a UFO investigator because I did not have the time to go out there and interview all the people I would naturally do in a kind of a policing investigation. So there's a slight difference, and that's something that I want to do now. I've retired, that I can get my teeth into using my detective acumen skills, if you will, in in more active cases. So I will become the investigator. But to answer your question... The investigation side, I always speak to people in isolation, separate them. If there are multiple witnesses, I always speak to them separately. I always verify who they are. Uh, I take notes. I do verification checks on who these people are. I get them to send uh, photographs to me in the uniform. They have to give me a certified declaration that they're telling the truth, all this kind of thing that kind of makes this up. What I can honestly say in all of my 11 years of research, I think on only one occasion... Uh, as a police officer contacted me who I thought is questionable and it's not on the database. So only one out of hundreds. Wow. Okay. Right? Uh, and that's, that's a of- real... Well, you would, you would figure, I mean, law enforcement officials are 
I mean, their whole life is based on ascertaining the truth. You know, I was hoping that I'd hear you say this because it's the exact opposite. Uh, coming forward with a hoax to me uh, is just not in the personality profile. No, for for a police officer to go public or approach me, it's because they've got something real that they want to say. Many times they're historical accounts. Most of the time it's retired officers who've got the pensions feel less threatened. Uh, the, the, the serving officers that approach me, they generally want to be anonymous. And that's fine. And they're a source to me. As long as I've checked them out and they are who they say they are, then I'll, I'll protect them as a source. And why not? Uh, because I'm keen to get these real stories out there. Even of all the members of the public, that have contacted me over the last 11 years of research, the percentage of people that I thought these are just nutters completely out of it uh, is very, very tiny, 2%, very few. The vast majority of people you can tell within minutes as a trained investigator where they're recalling real events or they're just making it up on the fly. So the answer is not what the press will say, that there's a lot of hoaxing goes on. I think nationally, what's the figure that they say... Uh, in UFOs, 8%. Well, I think it's even less than that. Uh, I think for anybody to approach a a researcher, or certainly a police officer in my case, they obviously know that they're going to get scrutinised a bit. I think very few people would approach me with anything other than a credible story. Yeah, and I've found that too, that uh, very, very few people actually knowingly uh, have attempted to hoax uh, me and my work I've had quite a number of, of people approach me uh, not being able to really you know, accurately determine what it is that they're looking at, just mistaken um, impressions, that sort Absolutely. of thing, which, which happens all the time. It. If what they described to me, I said, well, you've probably seen a Chinese lantern. If that's what it, it looks like, obviously I wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. But I'll call it as I see it. Not everything that comes in, I think, is ET. I look at each case on its merits. But just going back to you there... Uh, there was an occasion where I believe somebody tried to put uh, major disinformation to me, and it's what Charles Holt talked about uh, in your recent broadcast with Leslie Kane. And he didn't name me, but he said a friend had basically been approached. I was the officer, I was the person he was talking about uh, when the, this uh, this guy, this radar guy, came forward with me and asked uh, and said he was at Rendlesham and blah, blah, blah. And oh, this Wilson character that was on yeah, Coast to Coast with the claim? So it's me that that originates from. And basically what happened was that he came across with all this information and he sounded really credible. It was a very detailed set of information. Not overly sensationalistic, which I think added to its credibility initially. And then I started to do what any detective should do. I threw back a load of clarification questions. He then responded. And what I went on is a banter over a few days of seven emails, I think it was in the end, where I'd asked very specific, detailed information to scrutinise what he was saying and clarify. And basically, at the end of it, I said, OK, you appear to have got some very detailed information. I need now for you to prove to me who you are so that I can verify who you are so then I can talk about this case publicly. And as soon as I went back and said, right, verify yourself to me, you can be a source, but I've got to know exactly who you are and vet you and know that what you say you are is who you say you are. And as soon as I did that, nothing further. I talked to Grant Cameron about it, and uh, I've talked to Robert Salas about it, and I told Charles Holt about it. And, of course, with him being in America, he's got his links to intelligence, or, or rather links to people who can trace things in America, which I don't have. And in the bottom line is we can't find him. But at the end of it, as Charles Holt said, 
uh, my gut feeling was that there's some truth to what he said, but his role was bogus. And I think that he tried to see if I would put out this information unverified as a test to me as a researcher. Would I just fall for it hook, line and sinker? And the bottom yeah. line, I didn't, and I did my job properly. And as soon as I asked the hard question, he backed off and never heard from him since. Yeah, I, I refuse to put into my database any sort of, you know, a person that comes comes forward and, and doesn't, you know, pr- produce bona fides or who they are. I need to be totally certain that I am dealing with with a known entity, and Absolutely. and I, I I've never really had a problem with that because people who have genuine experiences are yeah, are, are generally not afraid to to if you're going to promise anonymity to them, let's say Absolutely. they will come forward. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, in a sense, goes back to this wider issue. In an ideal world, what I'd like to see from an evidential point of view is that we should have an organization for pilots all around the world. You've got NARCAP in America, but in a sense, each country should have a pilot group, a police group, a radar operators group. And if we really got our act together as researchers and got people on board, we'd have a million more times evidence than what we've actually got. Because we'd have specialists in these key areas, yeah. get more specialists to come forward. Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, coming with an approach that that features people who are inside a particular uh, category or group, uh, like like a pilot, Richard Haynes doing NARCAP, uh, yourself doing doing uh, law enforcement, maybe astronomers uh, should have an Alan Hynek filing away or a Jacques Vallée filing away reports from astronomers, but. This has been really fascinating, Gary, and I really look forward to uh, continue to get to know you and and uh, and follow your work. And and you know, again, my hat hats off to you. It's it's been a really courageous thing that you've done. I'm glad you have gotten through fairly unscathed here. And uh, I'm one of your biggest fans, and I know um, you're going to be back on the on the Paracast uh, as a reoccurring guest. And I'm sure the folks out there are really going to enjoy listening to you on this show. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I welcome the opportunity to talk about this subject. Hopefully what you will get from me is very somebody who's very passionate about it, and I think that always comes through. Well, that's what people always tell me. I am very passionate about this. You know, I'm definite in my circumstantial evidence based, you know, lots of people go to prison without the body being found for murder on a circumstantial case. And this is how I look at it in policing terms, that the case for UFOs has been ET. My personal opinion is that when you look in the high-caliber witness categories, based on the circumstantial evidence of the best cases, like the pilots, the astronauts, cosmonaut comments, etc., etc., the circumstantial evidence, the majority says to me that this leans towards ET. That's why I'm happy to say it. Can I prove it? Definitively, no. Can anybody? No. I'm going to ask you very quickly, where can our listeners find more of your information? Right, go to www.ufotruthmagazine, written as one word, .com, and the website's up and running. There's a nine-page sampler issue that you can download for free, uh, and the first issue out is going to be bi-monthly. It's now going to be 96 pages. Initially, I was looking at 84 because it's online. I've got enough material. It's going to be a 96-page bi-monthly. It's got the best, my opinion, the best researchers around the world. Okay, we can find us on theparacast.com that's theparacast.com the paracast is on twitter on facebook and chris o'brien's site is ourstrangeplanet.com ourstrangeplanet.com gary Hazeltine, thank you so much for joining us this week on the paracast thank you very much the paracast 
featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. 